Welcome to the DMF. I am your host, Justin Yachts, and today is part four of my interview with Randy James. Enjoy. All right. So let's talk about James Franco. When you met him, as you met him at an early point in his career, how did that come about? Uh, he was in an acting class with uh, a young actress who we actually didn't represent, but she was friendly with um, one of my partners and she had seen him in class and suggested that we, we should meet with him. And again, we, we've, we're, we're in the, the talent development business and he was a young actor. I think he at the time was like 18 years old. So we had him come in and it was clear he was something very interesting about him from the minute he walks in a room. There's, there's that thing, you know, that where you can't take your eyes off of somebody. You don't know what they're yeah. going to do next. We asked him to come back and, and do a scene for us, which he did. I don't think I'm talking out of school. I think he he would certainly admit this. I, it wasn't the best performance it would, mm. in the world. It was what I would call green. You know, he, mm. he hadn't been doing this very long. He was studying acting. He was a young green actor, but he had that thing that we talked about earlier where, you know, there was something special about this guy. There was something fascinating about him uh, and you, you you didn't want to take your eyes off of him because you didn't know what he was going to do next. So we, d- we decided to, to take him on and started sending him out. And in, in the beginning, it was a slow process because he was inexperienced, you know, mm-hmm. but the good casting directors recognized the same thing in him that we did. And mm-hmm. so they were open to bringing him back and bringing him back. And um, he did a couple you know, little jobs here and there that were some, you know, not significant work, but enough to get him on sets and working with other actors and working with directors. And I'll tell you, I think a young actor, I've always said working a week on a movie or on on a good television show is worth six months to a year in acting class, because you just, you're, you're hopefully working with super talented people and uh, you, you're, talent is able to grow exponentially from that experience. And so he had a couple of those experiences. And then he went in on uh, on Freaks and Geeks, um, the yeah. Joe Apatow NBC show. Uh, and he was absolutely perfect for the for the character that he was cast in. And and, you know, the, sh- the show didn't really catch on. I think NBC. I don't think NBC really knew what to do with this show. It was no, it, it, was, it, it didn't really fit into their the NBC ethos I don't think you know I mean it was today, like um, streamers I think a show like that would have taken off on Netflix but it it just I don't think it was an it was a network show and um so for whatever reason you know the show the show didn't stay on the air too long but my gosh, I mean, look at the people that have come out of that of that show and gone on to, you know, amazing careers, you know. Um, I know. Uh, so uh, then from that, he got the role he was born to play, which was James Dean. Uh, and he ju- I thought he just killed that. I mean, from the first moment that he came on screen 
in that movie, I I believed I was watching James Dean. I I I didn't think I was watching an actor playing James Dean. And to his credit, I've never known an actor that's thrown himself into a role to the point that that he would would do it. I mean, he's taken the whole concept of method acting to a whole other level. I mean, in, he did a movie with Robert De Niro called City by the Sea, where he played uh, a drug addict who, mm. you know, living on the streets. And it was De Niro's son. And he went and lived homeless on the streets of Venice in, in Los Angeles for like two weeks and literally was panhandling on the street. People were giving him money and everything. I mean, he it's wild. But he threw himself into this James Dean character, watched every bit of, of film, every interview James Dean ever did, read every book on him. And, and, I, and he just killed it. And I think he won the Screen Actors Guild Award mm. uh, or the Golden Globe Award. It's been several years. You'll, you'll be able to figure that. I think I, I believe is I believe is the Golden Globes because that was um, this was a television film, correct? Yes. Yeah. And and that performance really uh, that that put him on a lot of people's radar. And then he had a mm. he had a great, a great run after that. And then eventually, you know, was nominated for best actor for 127 hours. Yeah, he was great in that. It was yeah. a great film. Tough, really tough, film. tough film to watch. Uh, but uh, yeah. you know, this it's the true story of of a, a guy who goes hiking in, in Utah and falls into a crevice and gets his arm jammed in the rocks and eventually has to cut his own arm off. And I'll tell you, I went to the screening of that and uh, that scene, people were were literally walking out of the theater because they couldn't watch it, but uh, it yeah. was it was pretty dramatic. Another role that he did was really well. It was um, Spring Breakers. Yes. Yeah, that could have been such a forgettable character. So yeah. paint by numbers. And he brought like this certain depth to him. There's the part where they're like playing with the guns and they're like, we'll just shoot you or whatever. And it's like, there's this twinge of fear. There's this twinge of that. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was, uh, I was I was upset when he didn't get nominated for that because I was like that was a really interesting performance. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about uh, Jenny Garth and working with her. Well, that's a that's an interesting story. Um, I had just left ABC and started this new company, and uh, one of the guys that was a, a VP at ABC and that I had worked for for some time, uh, his his wife was, if I remember the story correctly, was friends, childhood friends with a woman who was putting on a beauty pageant in Laughlin, Nevada, a beauty and, and pageant and talent that had a talent show component to it. And all the judges that they were able to get at this beauty pageant in Laughlin, Nevada were like, you know, used car salesmen from Laughlin, you know, to come in. And so this guy called me up and I had worked for him for many years and said, listen, would you do me a favor and come to Laughlin and be a judge at this It would for my wife, because they need to have at least one legitimate person there 
Uh, here's my dog, Sebastian, making his podcast. <laughs> um, and, and because this this man was very good to me at ABC and was a, a, a friend, uh, my wife, Kelly, and I got on a plane and flew to Laughlin, Nevada. And uh, to your listeners who probably never heard of Laughlin, Nevada, it's this little town on the Colorado River that exists solely because they have uh, gambling there. And it's sort of like, I guess if Reno's a poor man's Vegas, Laughlin's a poor man's Reno. That puts it in perspective. And so we were there for a couple of days and Jenny had won another pageant in Phoenix, some little, you know, pageant. And she, uh, based on her talent, she was, she was a, a dancer. Um, an aspiring dancer. And she came out and she did a, a, you know, a modern dance number. And it was actually my wife, Kelly, who said to me, you know, she's a really cute girl, but she doesn't really look like a, you know, a talent, a pageant girl, but there's something really unique and likable and about her, you know, you you should Mm -hmm. see if she has any talent as an actress. So I went and met with, met the mom and met, uh, Jenny and I happened to have an audition scene with me, and I asked her if she had any interest in doing this. And you know, they'd never really thought about it. And I, but they were certainly open. And I gave them the scene. I said, "Work on this tonight. You don't have to have it memorized. Just be yourself. Just read. I'll read with you. You read the lines, however you think. You know, it was a scene for a girl her age, mm-hmm. and we'll do it tomorrow." And she came in, and she, we, we uh, did it the next day. And again, like James, she was very green, but she had an innate talent and there was innate, was it really a, a, a likability and a warmth to her. And I suggested to her that um, if, and her mom, if she would get into an acting class back home in Phoenix and, mm-hmm. you know, every few weeks or so send me, I, I will work with the acting teacher. Maybe I'll send a, an audition scene or something to the teacher and have the teacher put her on videotape. This is back in the days of videotape uh, and send them to me. Um, and, and we started this process and it went on, I don't know, maybe six months or a year and the tapes got better and better and better. And there was a point where I, I said to Jenny and to her mom, look, I actually think that she's good enough now if you guys want to do this, that she could compete in this market. And in those days, because there weren't self-tapes, everything was, you know, you had to go in and read for someone. It, it, it meant they had to move, pick up and move from Phoenix to Los Angeles. So it was a huge commitment for, yeah. for that, a huge commitment for, for the mom. Uh, but they did. And they came out and we started working together. And I, I would actually coach her on her auditions before she went in and um, little by little, she started to get, you know, a little job here and a little job there. And, and, uh, and then she got a, a series with Barbara Eden called mm. a brand new life that ran for one season. And um, she did a TV movie. It, I, incredibly with uh, Jason Priestley. I forget the name of it, a, a, like a cable movie. And then she went in and auditioned for 90210. Mm. And there was another show that was casting at the same time on NBC called, let's say it was called Hollywood High. It, it was another teen high school show. Mm. And 
they were interested in, well, well, first, the first thing that happened is Jenny had read for the casting director on 90210. And the casting director didn't feel that she was right. Didn't she feel she was the right look? And I really believed that she was perfect for this. And I, I had had a, a relationship with a guy who I had worked with at ABC named Tony Shepard, who then went on to be head of casting for Aaron Spelling Productions. Um, he, and he now works uh, for Disney. But I called Tony and I said, listen, do me a favor. We're friends. I know I don't want to name the cast director, but I, I, you know, she didn't think she was right. But I, I absolutely believe in this girl. Will you take 10 minutes and bring Jenny in and read her and tell me what you think? And he did. And he absolutely loved her. And he walked her down the hall from his office to Aaron Spelling's office and introduced her to Aaron. And, uh, and the rest is history. But in the interim, Jenny was up for this other show. And there was a lot of interest in, in her in this other show, this NBC pilot. I really felt, and this was a risk, but I really felt that she should do the 90210. And, and I say it was it's a risk because at the time, although Aaron had such tremendous success with so many shows, this was a point in time where where he, I don't even know if he had a show on the air. It was it was you know this period where he was struggling a bit. And and Fox, mm. the brand new network, you know, unproven. This yeah, other right, it is the, Fox, yeah, yeah. Fox. And this other show was an NBC, you know, one of the top networks in the business. Until Fox came along, it was one of only three networks in the business. So it was a little bit of a risk. But the other, the other, they made the other pilot. Jenny did nine hundred two one zero. They made the other pilot. It didn't get picked up, and uh, the rest is history. And she hasn't looked back. And she's still a client today. She just turned fifty years old, <laughs> which yeah. is mind-boggling to me because when we met, she was like fifteen. Uh, wow, it's a little scary. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Daniel Cosgrove. How did how did you discover him? When at a certain point, we, you know, when Jenny signed, you know, as I said, talent deals on, on series go, you know, six or seven years. At a certain point, there we the 90210 was still very successful and our contract was coming up. And so we were going to renegotiate the contract. And one of the things that Aaron very graciously um, granted me and Jenny uh, was the ability to sign off on any love interest that she was going to have on the show. And uh, because there were few guys that, you know, were brought in for an episode or more than an episode that for one reason or another, didn't really, didn't really work out. And Aaron very graciously al allowed us to have that. And so if they were interested in, in somebody to cast opposite Jenny, they would send us the, cho the choices, you know, and, and, and we were able to have this creative input, which is, you know, somewhat unusual, especially in an ensemble show like that. Je you know, Jenny wasn't the star of the show. So yeah. it, a little bit unusual. And uh, when we looked, Daniel was just coming off of a soap, All My Children. Yeah in New York. And uh, when we looked at his tape, we absolutely fell in love with the guy. He was just obviously, you know, ridiculously handsome, good looking, 
but there was a warmth to this guy and a likability um, that worked for the character. And Jenny just was naturally there was there was like a connection that she she had with him immediately when she when she saw the tape. And um, so when he came out, we all met and he didn't have any representation at the time. I don't even know if he had an he must have had an agent, but I don't, I don't remember. And I I offered to represent him. I didn't do his deal for 90210, but once he came out, I, I took him on and he's still a client today. And um, yeah. I, I just saw uh, the trailer for the, for the, the second season of sex in the city. What's the reboot called? Oh, well, um, and it is, or something. And yeah. uh, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's in the, he, cause he has a, had a little role in, in that. And he, he's mm-hmm. in the, He's in the uh, the trailer in the pro- promo for the new up the new season, but he's a great guy. I've worked with him ever since then, and uh, now he's in his fifties, which I can't I can't even wrap my head around. Really? It. He's in his um, he's in his fifties yeah. too. But a funny I'll tell you a funny Daniel Cosgrove story along those lines is that before he got into acting, he was a bailiff in Connecticut in in like a, a local courthouse. Because he looked the way he did, I guess there were repeat offenders that would, you know, on a regular basis be pulled into this courthouse to, to stand trial for some silly, you know, misdemeanor or another. And they uh, they used to call him 90210 because, you know, everybody on 90210 <laughs> was gorgeous and was, you know, these yeah. handsome guys. And so they were sort of good naturedly making fun of him because he was so good looking. And that was his nickname and his bailiff nickname in the courthouse was 90210. And then uh, a couple of years later, he ended up on the show, which is pretty crazy. Because I remember him playing the, uh, the villain in uh, Van Wilder with, um, oh, that with was Ryan a, Reynolds there. That was a great he, movie. And I thought, I thought so good in that. Was, see, the thing that people don't know about him yeah. is that he's really funny. I mean, he's a, he's yeah. a really funny comedic actor, and uh, I don't know if if you've watched Billions, but he's had he's been a recurring on Billions a few times. And there's a and there's a great scene of him getting getting out of a pool stark naked. These guys are, are show up at his house to confront him, and he walks out of the pool. Oh, that's him from the back. Oh, you're right. That's him. Yeah, and he's so funny in that scene. But he was, I thought he was, he was. In Van Wilder, he absolutely epitomized the the jerk frat guy yeah. ev- that, that exists in every school, you know? I mean, yeah. funny, funny stuff. I thought he was perfect in that. I, I just love yeah. the way, you know, the the whole, <laughs> it's such a funny film. You also represented what one time uh, Rachel Leah Cook, right? Uh, for many, many years, yeah. Many, many years, yeah. Talk a little bit about her. Well, she's one of the one of the sweetest uh, women I've ever known. You know, she comes from the from Minnesota, um, mm. and they 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 grow them with good manners in in Minnesota. And uh, yeah, we I worked together for like fifteen years and uh, had a great relationship. That she worked quite a bit well during during our time together and and i have nothing but wonderful things to say about her there's not a kinder human being on the planet corbin bernson 
to talk talk a little bit about Corbin because you have a long history with him. A very long history. Corbin, uh, who people may remember from uh, L.A. Law, played the the sort of scoundrel divorce attorney Arnie Becker, and then from you know the major league movies um, with Charlie Sheen and Tom Berenger, uh, the feature films, and uh, Corbin's first wife was my uh, assistant in, in New York. She was, she worked for a, she was a model, but worked for a, a secretary, secretarial uh, temp agency. And so when I first came out to New York, uh, I didn't have, you know, I hadn't interviewed anyone to be my assistant and the network kind of assigned her to me. And uh, she, she started dating uh, Corbin and, and I met Corbin through, uh, through Brenda. Brenda Cooper, she went on to win an Emmy for the cost. She was the costume designer on The Nanny and, and came up with Fran, all of those amazing uh, outfits that Fran Drescher became famous for. That was all Brenda's doing. It was all her eye. I think she may have a couple won a couple of Emmys. But at the time, she was my <laughs> she was my assistant at ABC. And um, Corbin, had, although we grew up in L.A. and his family was a, a show business family, his mother. Gene Cooper played uh, Catherine Chancellor on The Young and the Restless for almost mm-hmm. 40 years. She had uh, maybe still does the longest, the, the record for the longest role, continuous role in, in, in television, playing that role on, on that soap for 40 years. And her, his father was a producer, but he came to, to New York to, you know, st- study acting, to learn the craft of acting. We became really good friends and, and, when I left New York to go to LA to be to start this company, he was one of the first people that signed with me. He he came out shortly after I did. And he had actually auditioned for LA Law in New York. And it was in the dead of winter. And he tells this story and it was cold and blizzardy and he went in and he was sort of depressed and he did the reading and he he didn't really you know it didn't work and then he came out to um to LA and he tells a story we we, we got him back we were able to get him back in and get him another shot because they were not able to cast this role and i mentioned earlier uh Joel Thurm's book at the Joel Thurm at the time was the head of casting at NBC and by coincidence lived next door to Corbin's godfather. Corbin was living with his godfather at the time because he didn't have his own place. And Corbin tells a story that he was jogging. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny day. He was he had this audition coming up for, for LA Law's second chance. And he was jogging along Mulholland Drive, which is a windy road that goes along the mountains in Los Angeles. And, and a, a convertible Jeep with two beautiful girls drove down the, the street and they like yelled at him, you know, hooted at him or whatever. And, and uh, he, he said at that moment, he got who Arnie Becker was, you know, he, he just, he connected with this whole LA, this whole LA vibe that he couldn't connect with when he went in in New York and just, mm-hmm. you know, blonde haired, hot dude, chicks love him. That's, he had to play into that. And uh, it, it was, a, uh, you know, actors, it's, you know, actors have to seize on something that, you know, the, the, the British style of acting 
is creating a character from the outside in where the, the method, the Brando style of acting is you create a character from the inside out. And what, what the, the Brits do is they'll, they'll take something, a costume, they'll put on a mustache, they'll do their hair a certain way, and they create this character that way. And I think it, that was an example of that happening with Corbin, because he, he saw what this guy was based upon, you know, running in a pair of dolphin shorts down Mulholland Drive and having hot chicks, you know, yell at him and, and him flirting back and all of that. And, and so that, that made him be able to connect to this character. And he went in and he, and he got the part. And uh, it was a, just like Jenny in 90210, LA Law became this phenomenally huge show at the time. Uh, it was a really, uh, Stephen Bochco was the, was the creator and the writer. That um, They brought on uh, David Kelly, who's gone on to do such amazing shows like Boston Legal and, and so many others. And it was just really one of the smartest, well-written, well-directed, and well-acted shows at the time. And it was on NBC and just really made everybody on that show uh, elevated their careers in a, in a phenomenal way. And he's still, uh, he's standing on a set today shooting a, a movie. Yeah. I mean, he works constantly. Yeah. Okay, that about does it for this episode. I want to thank Randy James for his time. Please like, share, and subscribe, and consider checking out the YouTube channel. As always, you can find me at Justin Yachts, and I will see you next time on the DMF. <laughs>